What does it take to succeed in multifamily? Well, in today's episode with Rod Khalif, we're gonna be diving in to some great lessons about specifically how you can take action to get started in this business as a passive investor, as an active investor, and some lessons that'll help you get started today. Let's get into it. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. For as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Let me ask you something. Are you hitting success yet you know that there's another level? Or perhaps you're just getting started. You're trying to put all these pieces together, get your first deal, but something's holding you back. Or maybe you're going through a big change in your career and your life, but for some reason you just can't take the steps you need to know in order to move forward. Well, I've been having a lot of really incredible conversations with people who are in the exact same position as you are, and they've been able to make massive change happen very quickly. Whether that's doubling your income within just a few months, whether that's making some kind of big shift in your life and really unlocking that vision, or perhaps it's just getting clear on what that vision needs to be so that you can really take those steps. Of course, you guys know me, host of the Investor Mindset here, Stephen Pesavento, and high performance coach. I've been working with clients for years, seeing and helping them see major results. And I'd love to set up a call to discover if it's possible to be able to help you with some of those same things. If you are in a position where you want more and you're committed to taking some steps to get there, then I encourage you to head over to investormindset.com slash discover and let me know a little bit more information about you. Set up a call and we'll jump on and we'll walk through a discovery process. Totally complimentary. You'll walk away with a lot of clarity. And if there's some way that I can help serve you, I'll let you know that too. So you can just head over to investormindset.com slash discover. And I look forward to serving you. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. Today, we have a very special guest, Rod Khalif's in the studio. How are you doing today, Rod? It's a beautiful day, my friend. Let's have some fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And as you guys know, Rod Khalif is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, author, mentor, and the host of top ranked the Lifetime Cashflow Podcast. And uh, he's owned and managed over 2,000 properties and I'm going to be honest, if you guys haven't joined for one of Rod's live events, I highly recommend it. The networking, connecting, and the lessons you'll learn are phenomenal. But without further ado, let's dive into things. You ready, Rod? Yes, sir. You're somebody who's really dedicated your life's work to multifamily real estate. I mean, you're an investor, you're an operator, you work with passive investors, you teach people how to create a career out of this. Tell me, why multifamily? Well, I've owned 2,000 houses, Stephen, as you know, and uh, it took me a long time to get, yeah, we talked about this on, on my show where, you know, you got the memo faster than I did, okay? So, you know, I've had 2,000 houses I rented long-term. In 2008, I had 800 houses and I had some apartment complexes and, you know, I lost it all, lost everything. And I lost it because of the houses. And it wasn't so much that they were houses, although houses are much harder to manage. It was the fact that I was, well, it was a lot of things. And let's talk about why. So Florida has no state income tax. So property taxes are higher. So that that impacts what? Cash flow, right? 
I had properties, I had properties two hours north of me, two hours south of me, all the way down the coast. So a big swath of, of area that I owned these houses in. And a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, some of them were in wind zones and flood zones that uh, impact insurance costs, which impacts what? Cash flow. But what really killed me was if I sent a, you know, a maintenance guy to one of my apartment complexes, everything's the same. The plumbing parts are the same, appliance parts are the same, locks, you know, it's it's so we could stockpile parts and they could get in and out in an hour. Well, if I had to send someone to one of my 800 houses, could be an hour or hour and a half each way. Then they have to go see what's, you know, what's there because every house is different. And then they've got to go find a Home Depot or a Lowe's, which could be another hour round trip. And, and you know, I don't know about you, Stephen, but uh, anytime I try to fix something, I usually end up going to Home Depot or Lowe's more than once. Uh, and, you know, and, and really what took an hour at one of my apartment complexes would take all day at one of my 800 houses. Now, these were C-class houses. And we all know, you know, C-class properties have a lot more maintenance than A and B for a lot of reasons. The, the tenant demographic, the age of the property, so on and so forth. And so that really killed me. But then the final straw, you know, and I lost $50 million in 2008, if you haven't heard my story before. And, and the final straw was that most of my tenants were contractors, plumbers, electricians, drywallers, painters, roofers, which fell off a freaking cliff in 2009. And so, you know, it was just like the perfect storm. And you know, what's crazy is I was only at a 30% loan to value. I only owed 30 cents on the dollar and I still crashed and burned because it's never about that. It's about cash flow. And so why do I love multifamily? Because throughout that crash, my multifamily did just fine. It pulled back about 11%, but it would have easily survived. And, you know, again, it was a single family. I thought in my infinite wisdom that I'd save a 50 basis points, which is half a percent interest or so, you know, combining packages of houses with my multifamily. Um, and if I hadn't combined them, you know, I cross collateralized. If I hadn't done that, I'd still have the apartment complexes. So when I recovered from all that, you know, that's why I started my podcast, uh, you know, was to give people that message that if you're going to buy and hold, for God's sakes, do multifamily, don't do single family because of all the reasons that I just outlined. And, you know, now, of course, I pay attention to demographics. Like an example, we just, you know, bought a 280 unit in Cincinnati not long ago. And I literally line by line looked where every tenant worked just to gauge the impact COVID on that particular type of business. Like there were a lot of people that worked at Delta, which would be impacted. Uh, now we're killing it with that asset, but that's the, you know, that's what the lesson I got from, you know, the demographical component of, of the crash. So as somebody who has went through a scenario where you lost $50 million, you lost 800 houses, you went through this big thing and a lot of it was connected to those single family homes. Primarily that. And had I just been in multi, I would have survived easily. Yeah, absolutely. So you came out of there and you were ready to keep going. I mean, what kept you in the real estate space after going through such a huge loss? I know so many people who were at the top of their game and they left real estate as fast as they could once they lost it all. What, what kept you in the game? I actually stepped out of the game for a little bit. I wish I hadn't. I, that was the biggest, one of the biggest mistakes that I ever made because if I'd have stayed in the game in 09 and 10 instead of hiding under a rock for a few months, I'd be on the back of my yacht right now, okay? Because there were unbelievable opportunities. You know, if you listen to my podcast, you'll start to hear a pattern with the people that have thousands of doors. Most of them started in 9, 10, 11, and 12. That's a clue, right? And so I actually started a litigation support company right after I lost everything. I was helping thousands of families save their homes. It was a unique 
unique business model. I didn't like it because nobody's happy when they're losing their home. And I sold that business a couple of years ago. But at one time, it was, you know, $10 million company with 60 employees. And, you know, we helped a lot of people. Uh, even though I didn't like the business, like I said. And then when I realized I was getting back into real estate, I hate asking for money. So that was one of the reasons I started the podcast. The other reason was I just wanted to add value and tell people if you're going to, again, if you're going to buy and hold, for God's sakes, do multifamily. Here's why. I really, it's kind of funny. You want to make God laugh. You tell him, tell him your plans. I, I never planned to do anything with the podcast. I never planned to teach. No way. I mean, I, I just want to buy real estate. And then, you know, I hit a million downloads. I'm like, okay, knucklehead, you probably better do something with this. So I wrote a book. I gave away 20,000 copies. You know, I, I'm kind of a reluctant coach as it were, at least initially. Now I freaking love it. I get love 10 times a day, DMs, emails, cards. I've got a wall behind me. You can't see it if you're listening, but hundreds of thank you cards. And the whole wall behind my green screen covered with them from, you know, people whose lives have been impacted by my work. And so I'm addicted now. My wife puts up with me working Sundays and late nights because I just love this business. You're hooked in because you're making such a big impact because you found something that really fills you up. And it happens to be in an industry that can really make a huge change for people in their life. And I know you work with a lot of people on the active side, you're training, you're coaching, you're teaching people on the passive investing side as well. So I'm curious for passive investors, what's the biggest mistake that you see new investors making when they're getting started? Well, I will tell you that um, I suppose the biggest is aligning with the wrong operator. You know, there, there are a lot of operators that are fairly new to this business and they, they haven't gone through a downturn. You know, they're, they're not conservative right now. I mean, I believe we're going to have a contraction at some point here, not something to fear, just be something to be aware of. And, you know, I, I, we, we'll get into what we call best and final, where they're asking for the top offers that a person's willing to give on a particular asset. And we are scratching our freaking heads when we see what some of these properties are trading for. And so I think it's not asking the right questions. It's not, you know, really not checking out a, a GP. I've got this, this free resource I give about questions you should ask a general partner in a syndication before investing. But, you know, like, like what's their experience? Uh, does anyone on the team have construction experience? What's their target market? What's their investment criteria? How do they stress test a deal? What's their business plan? Ask about the financing. And by the way, we talked about this before. You know, I believe if you're going to invest in anything, you should understand it. And so, you know, I, I do, like I said, I do my live stream boot camps now and I don't sell anything at this event. Nothing is being sold. It's two days of total training. So, you know, it's my belief if you're going to invest in anything, you should understand it. So whether you learn from me or not, you got to ask the questions of the GP, you know, who's going to manage the renovation? Have they ever done that before? You know, how, how are you going to mitigate any conflicts of interest, if any, when do you issue K-1s? Have they worked with that third-party property manager before? So, I mean, just a whole list of questions. Have you done a background check on the partners? Uh, have they ever had a deal go sideways? What happened? What did they do? Well, of course, what's the preferred return? What are the splits? Things like that. And uh, there you go. Are you investing money in the deal? What are the operating reserves right now? I mean, we stress test a deal right now. I won't buy a deal unless it breaks even at 25% vacant day one. And then once we've pulled the money out with a refinance down the road in three to five years, it has to break even at 35%. Those are one of our basic metrics. Plus, we're putting quite a bit of money in operating reserves. That Cincinnati asset, I think we have a million and a half sitting there just in case, just in case you know what hits the fan fund. You know, again, hit me once, shame on you. Hit me twice. It's my own damn fault. So you're not going to hit me again as it relates to, you know, being ready for a potential downturn. 
And so these investors, what I'm really hearing from you is they really need to get educated enough to understand what a good deal looks like. But even more so than the deal is really understanding who is the operator, who is that person who is executing, who is doing the due diligence, who is making those decisions. And that's the reason why you have these questions. So when you get on the phone with your investor relations or that team, you're able to ask these questions to truly understand, well, what is it that we're doing here? What is your business plan? What is your strategy? What is your experience? And making sure that that actually aligns with what you understand is best practice and that they're going to be able to move forward. You have to know the questions to ask, okay? And that's why, you know, you know, two days is frankly minimal education. But if you've got a hundred grand that you worked your butt off to, to save, for God's sake, spend a couple days with me and, and make sure you understand what it is you're doing. That's my, or whatever, go do it on YouTube University, but, but study this a little bit because, you know, so many people, they'll just blindly give their money to someone and that, you know, it, it, with our investors, I take the time to educate them. They, they come help with due diligence. They come behind the scenes. And, you know, I, I do a lot of education with the investors who come into my deals. But, you know, regardless, there are a lot of great operators out there. You're a great operator, Stephen. And, and it really is just checking out who you're going to work with, seeing how well aligned you are, making sure it's a fit, you know, on a personality level as well. I will tell you, and I tell my coaching students that are going to be operators, you know, if you find an investor that's a bit of an ass, just d trust me, move on. Life is too freaking short because you're in bed with them for four or five years. And it's the same on the reverse. If you find an operator that just doesn't feel quite right, for God's sakes, don't invest with them because you're in bed with them for a while. And so, you know, pay attention to that and trust it. The other thing I will say, this is going to sound a little foo-foo ethereal, but trust your gut. You know, as human beings, we've got an, a, this incredible brain that psych, subconsciously sees things that we don't really even perceive consciously. And so you might meet with someone or talk to someone, and if it just doesn't feel right, trust it because your brain sees these micro, little micro nuances, facial expressions, movements, things that, that you don't consciously perceive, but your brain does. There's a good book about this. Uh, I think it's Tipping Point. Uh, Gladwell's book, Malcolm Gladwell's book about how, you know, uh, a art expert can look at a painting and not know why it's a fraud, but know it's a fraud. And it's in your brain is that powerful. So you want to trust it. It's called intuition. Women have it better than men. That's not a sexist comment. You shoot me for that, but it's the truth. Bottom line. And, and but you got to trust it. Yeah, well, that's it's super important to be able to know enough to ask the right questions and know if those answers end up feeling right. I'm a big believer in trust the gut. And, you know, we've passed both on partners as well as on investors as well, because people didn't have the right vibe. And so what I'm curious is, you know, you have somebody who has partnered with a lot of people, both in various different businesses. I'm curious, what impact have partners had on the development of your business? Well, listen, you know, I've, I call my, by the way, I call my failures seminars, you know, this Stephen, but your audience might not. I've built 24 businesses, several have been worth tens of millions of dollars. Many have been spectacular flaming seminars. Okay. And of course we grow and we learn from these experiences and some I've had partnerships that have gone fantastic and some that haven't. I'm going to tell you that partnerships are easy to get into, but they're hard to get out of just like a marriage. So you've got to ask all the right questions up front, because again, it's easy to get into hard to get out of like a marriage. And I, you know, you, you know, about my multifamily boardroom mastermind, I've got the, 
I think it's probably the largest out there, 14 billion in assets. And there's, I mean, I can think of two, a male and a female, big hitters, like 4,000 plus doors that just, you know, blew out partnerships because they didn't ask the hard questions up front. And I'm in a new partnership right now with an awesome guy. And we literally went through this resource and went, you know, what are you looking for in a partner? Have you had a partner before? What's your goal? How many hours are you going to put to this? I mean, I'm just going through some of these questions. How would you handle a crisis? What motivates you? You know, what happens if one of us dies, gets sick, whatever, you know, what, what do you, feel? How do you feel about culture? What do you, how do you want this business to look in five years and so on and so forth. And these are the kinds of questions you need to ask before you get in, because, you know, you get, it's easy to get caught up in the emotion and the excitement of doing business together. But again, it's not something you go into blindly, but I love that. Listen, our business, Stephen, you know, it's a team sport. And I will tell you, you know, it's just so important that you align with the right people for a lot, you know, a lot of different pieces. And like, like what I see most commonly as far as the teams, as it relates to multifamily on, on the operator side, if we're, if we're, if we're talking operators here, not passive, we're talking operators is a combination of a, of an, of an analytical person with an outgoing person. That's an incredible combination. I mean, I had, I had some young guys, you know, you're young, but I, I'd like three guys in their twenties on my show. I forgot. I think we called it young rock stars or something. And, and there was about a hundred million in that. Well, they're at a hundred million in assets now. But every one of them was just that, a partnership between an analytical person and an outgoing person. That's my partnership. I see that all the time in this business. But this is a team sport, so it's going to involve partnerships. I mean, you know, you want to go fast, go alone. You want to, uh, what's the other way? Go long, that Chinese proverb. If you want to go far, go together or something like that. But multifamily, yes, you can do single family flipping, wholesaling by yourself. You're not going to get very far in multifamily by yourself. You just won't. And I think you underlined some really important points, right, is you can't just rush in and think, hey, partnership equals solution to all my problems. It might end up being the solution, but getting into the wrong partnership will just create a whole new set of problems. And so just like you're not going to rush out and get married on the first date, you've got to get to know somebody from that perspective of, are they the right fit? Do they have the right values? Are they going in the same direction? Have the same work ethic? How are we going to decide how this is going to work if we end up getting out of this? So I think all very, very powerful things. Well, let me add one thing. It's critical that you play to your strengths and you align, hire or partner for your weaknesses. Because when you have that and you're both playing to your strengths, you're both doing what you love, success is inevitable. Okay. And that's so critical as it relates to partnerships. Yeah. Well, that's such a good point, really, because when people are aligned doing the things that they enjoy the most, that's what life's all about. So you've talked a lot about the biggest challenge that you dealt with. But since you lost all that capital, since you lost all that money and you restarted your business, you've been operating, you've been driving forward, you've had a lot of success. What is one of the biggest challenges that you've experienced since that challenge? I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Sure. I'll answer that in a second, but I want to say something else. You know, we talked about partnership. I, I also don't want to lose sight of something else, and that is surrounding yourself with people that want what you want and being around an empowering group, be it a mastermind or a meetup group or a real estate investor club. I mean, I've got my warrior mentorship program and, you know, I mentioned to you previously there, uh, they now own 45,000 plus doors and I've only been teaching three and a half years, which just blows my mind. And it's because they're helping each other and lifting each other up. That's why I started my mastermind. I want to be around people that think what I think is hard is easy. And so you want to be around. So surround yourself with people like that because that's how you're going to go far. If you're around people that are afraid of your success, afraid of potential success, jealous, whatever, you're not going to get very far. So just want to, I want to throw that out there. So what's been my 
biggest challenge since I lost $50 million, it's people. It's probably the hardest part of building any business is certainly systemization and KPIs and setting up your systems and procedures is one piece. The rest of every business is nothing but people and systems. And so, you know, it's finding the right people. You know, I've got an incredible team in my thought leadership, you know, about 12 people, maybe 15 people um, bringing someone new on today. I just interviewed this morning. I love, but you have to be so selective and so careful. And, you know, I've created this list of interview questions that I ask. It's like literally 40 pages so I can select what I'm thinking just to try to trigger insights into somebody who they really are, what they're about. And there's tons of literature on hiring and interviewing everything, but it's, it's always people. Cause if you find people that are motivated, have the work ethic, regardless of their technical ability, they're passionate about what they do. You put them in a seat that they love doing, man. I mean, that's how the world's billionaires come about is by that people selection process. So that's, that's been my biggest challenge. That's something I work on. I used to try to save money there. That's a huge mistake. Pay as much as it takes and then some to get the right people. We learn as we go. It took me a while to get that memo, but that's, I think is, is the biggest challenge that I've had. Where are you finding these people now that you're working on overcoming that challenge? Because I hear all business owners are saying the exact same thing. I've experienced it myself. It's probably the biggest limitation is finding those people and being able to have leadership for them. Yeah, I, I have an asset right now that's that's challenged uh, in Louisiana. It's a real problem. And and the current political administration, you know, continuing to fund unemployment with additional money is not helping because like, you know, I got I had 10 resumes for maintenance. I texted all 10 and not a single one got back to me. It's like, come on, seriously, why are you even sending your resume if you're not going to work? And so you know, you think it's running an ad and it's not, you're going to find the best people through referrals. And so you want to ask everybody, you know, who do you know? You know, one thing that I'm going to start doing, I think is actually proactively going on LinkedIn and looking for the different titles in the areas that I'm looking for and just reaching out and saying, Hey, do you know anybody that might be interested in work and hoping that they might be interested if I like their profile? I was thinking about doing that because the ads just don't work. You know, we're in a, we're in an unusual employment market right now, because again, people can stay at home making more money than they do working. It's just ludicrous. It is a crazy world for sure. And I think it just goes to show like at the end of the day, when you're growing a business, it's all about people. It's the same as passive investor. You got to choose the right people as a partner. You got to choose the right people. And it all comes down to where are you going to find people? How are you going to know that they're right? And having enough education to be able to tell that they're the right fit. I think that's absolutely huge. And, you know, a big way to do that obviously comes down to having the right people around you, having the right mentors, the right advisors. And so I'm curious, where do you go to find great mentors? Well, you know, I will tell you that, you know, I'm a big proponent in surrounding myself with the smartest people I can find. I want to be the dumbest person in the room, frankly. And, you know, that's why I formed my mastermind. I had 16 guys here, or 16 men and women come to my compound here in Florida. And, and there's about a billion in assets. And I was just so blown away by the value that I got. And they, and they were all blown away as well. They all signed up to join, you know, now we've got 14 billion in there. You know, you and I subscribe to a lot of the same mentors and just connecting in groups. You know, I, I, I these masterminds are, are extraordinary. In fact, what's interesting is the guy that I'm probably going to hire on my team, high level, this high level, this is six, six digit guy. I met him at a digital marketers war room, which is a high level mastermind of the best digital marketers on the planet. That's how I met this guy. And he, we stayed in touch and he needs to, some stability and he's a perfect for my organization right now. And it's like, again, through a relationship, 
So, you know, get connected, get, you know, be proactive. And I interviewed a guy on my show that was like the ultimate huge, God, now I'm drawing a blank on his name. He's got a huge podcast, like 11 million a month but it's, he's all about networking, uh, you know, but, he, but he, he, every day he proactively networks for about an hour and, and that's what he does every day. And he's had huge people on his pile. Well, obviously 11 million downloads a month. I'm, I mean, I'm excited about my 11 million uh, total. He's had that a month. So let me ask you this, Rod, right? You're somebody who has succeeded at a high level. And I'm a big believer that everybody has a superpower. Everyone has kind of this ability that is their unique ability. And I really love this concept because once somebody understands where they are the strongest, then they can really understand how they can be of value and service to other people. So I'm curious, Rod, what's your superpower? No, and let me expand on that before I answer. You know, some of my most successful students with successful warriors find that niche, find that superpower, and they bring that to a successful team, whether it's raising equity, whether it's after, you know, after you close on the asset, the asset management, they've got project management experience. Maybe it's relationship building, going out there and building relationships with brokers. Maybe it's finding deals. So I love the question because that is a secret to success in this business. And the multifamily as an operator business is figuring out what that is in fact, when I, when I, at my live events, I don't know if you remember this, I'll have people, I'll, I'll make people get up. And some of them are just scared shitless when I do this. So I say, get up, we're going to group with five people and introduce yourself. And of course the introverts like freaking out. And then I, I say, tell them what your superpower is. What are you really good at? I don't care if it's fishing, tell them what it is. And then, you know, obviously think about what it might be for this business. And, uh, but anyway, mine, you know, I used to be an introvert too, which is kind of astounding, but I think my superpower is my ability to take the complex and make it more simple. I think, you know, and that's partly why I get my butt kicked. I, I You've got a five-star review on your iTunes. I've got a four and a half because these analytical ones, if I interrupt somebody, they hate it, but I'll stop an interview and I'll say, Hey, stop. Let me just explain what you just said and kind of deconstruct it a little bit and explain it. And I think that's probably one of my superpowers is that ability to communicate effectively. You know, I'm very well read. I didn't go to college, but I'm better read than just about anybody I know. I've got thousands of books in my library and and I love reading. And so, of course, improves my vocabulary. So I'm able to be more articulate when I'm expressing an idea or a thought. Um, So that's probably it. Well, I think we've got so much in common, Rod, along the way. That's definitely one of my unique abilities as well. I'm curious, you know, we've dove into a lot of great topics here today. We've talked about partnership. We've talked about some of the biggest mistakes. What advice would you have to somebody, something that you haven't shared yet to wrap things up? What advice would you have to somebody who's looking to get started, to start taking some steps to making commercial real estate and multifamily the next step for them so they can really start making that kind of cash flow that we're all after. Yeah, sure. Well, the number one thing is you've got to find your burning desire or manifest your burning desire. So you've got to do your goals and your whys. I, that's the first thing we do at my boot camps. You, you know, people are like, oh, come on, let's get into the real estate. No, we spend an hour on figuring out what it is you want and why you want it. Cause how the hell are you ever going to get it if you don't know what it is? Right. So that's number one. Then you've got to make a decision. And the Latin root for the word decision means to cut off. It means it's done. You, it's not a one foot in one foot out sort of thing. And then you've got to push through 
those fears or limiting beliefs and actually, you know, take action with it. And what's funny is, is action mitigates that fear. And, and once you take that first step, like Dr. Martin Luther King said that the, the, the next step will be revealed. Okay. So you've got to take that first step, manage your focus. And I know this is in your five success principles because focus is power play to your strengths. Don't try to build your weaknesses, focus on your strengths, hire partner align for your weaknesses. Make sure you're doing what you love because when you're doing what you love, you'll be inspired and you'll be able to inspire other people with your passion. Okay. So make sure you're doing what you love. If you don't love this real estate business and you can't learn to love it, you can learn to love things, by the way, you associate pleasure with them. But if you can't learn to love it, for God's sakes, go do something else and then be around the right people, people that want what it is you want that aren't afraid of success that'll that'll push you and motivate you and empower you you know and then just don't give up have tenacity have have grit persistence determination there's a book called 3 feet from the gold just don't give up you know when that that business i was telling you about that i started after i lost everything that litigation support company almost went bankrupt in december of 2010 and i innovated i pivoted i came up with a new idea like i said turned it into a 10 million dollar company 60 employees but i you know if i hadn't if i given up, you know, it would have been over. And then lastly, I would say incorporate gratitude and incorporate contribution into your life in some fashion. You know, I, I, I had an epiphany when I uh, built this $8 million house on the beach, worked for it for 20 years. Two months after I moved in, I got depressed and I realized I've been totally focused on me trying to prove to the world I was good enough. And so I started feeding families. I've now fed a hundred thousand children, done tens of thousands of backpacks filled with school supplies to kids, done tens of thousands of teddy bears to local police departments for their officers to keep in their vehicles. And that has given my life fulfillment. Tony Robbins calls it the science of achievement versus the art of fulfillment. I'd achieved, but I was unfulfilled. So incorporate contribution. Cause I know if you're listening to Steve, you might have blood dripping from your teeth here and you want this so freaking bad for whatever your reason is, but contribute now. Don't wait. Do figure something you're passionate about, children, your environment, animals, the elderly. I don't care what it is and give something to that because your success will come faster and you'll be happier. You know, we've been taught to achieve, to be happy, achieve, achieve, to be happy. If you give back a little bit, even a little bit, just of your time, for instance, you'll be happily achieving. I'll leave it at that. Well, I think that's a beautiful way to leave it off. It was such a pleasure diving in with you again, Rod. It's great to hear the passion, the excitement, and it's such a reminder to everybody to figure out what you're going after, why that's important, and start bringing that passion to your life every day. Thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, definitely check out Lifetime Cashflow with Rod, and, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. And if you're curious to know the answer to that question and much more, join us on the next episode. We're going to be diving in even deeper into some other gems. Great having you guys here. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you've been listening for a while and you like what you hear, I welcome you to go drop a review on iTunes. Helps us reach even more bigger and better guests to be able to bring them directly to you guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you. Oh, thank you for joining for another incredible episode of the Investor Mindset. It's such a joy to be able to share these beliefs, these thoughts, these ways of living with each and every one of you guys, because I just know the power that it can make. And for some of you, 
for the select few of those people who are truly committed to going after their goals, the people who really believe that there's another level from where they're operating right now, the people who are ready to make change happen rapidly. And even if you're somebody who is stuck, who knows what you need to do, you know exactly the strategy, but for some reason you're not doing it for those people, there's another option. There's another level that you can reach. And what I've noticed after coaching tons and tons of people through this process is that there's a simple formula. And when you can start to understand how to unlock those pieces within yourself, you'll start to feel more vibrant. You'll start to feel more energized. You'll start to make more money and you'll start to enjoy the process through and through. So if you're somebody who's in a position, you're ready to make change happen, you're ready to invest in yourself, you really believe that the best investment, the truest ROI is investing in yourself because it continues to give back over and over again, then I invite you to schedule a call, share a little bit about yourself and see how we might be able to help serve you with the investor mindset coaching. You can head right over to investormindset.com slash discovery, set up a call and there's an opportunity to serve, I'll be right there with you. Thanks, and I look forward to uh, talking to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level.